0: Hi, this is Andrew Ryan, and this is an interview with Sarah Shulman from Comedy Bloggity. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Ryan underscore, and this is an interview that we're doing today in Edinburgh. It's really nice and really warm. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Bye.
1: So, Andrew, how did you get into comedy?
0: Um, I was in a dead end job, and I was just like, I was twenty six, and uh, I was out with an, I was out in the night out with some friends and we were talking about uh, things that we'd done in our life and I couldn't remember anything that I did from when I was 23. I just went to work every day. and I didn't do anything different or go on holiday or anything. And I thought, well, I needed to make a change, you know? So I just said, I'll go and do a, an open spot. I'd always wanted to do it because I loved comedy from when I was very young, you know? So um, I'd gone to a lot of comedy clubs in Manchester. I used to go and watch uh, people like um, John Bishop when he was in the clubs. and. Uh, Justin Morehouse and Stephen K. Amos and Mark Watson and then I just thought it looked really cool and I'd always really enjoyed it so I went down at 26 and I did the gong show in the Comedy Store in Manchester and I got booed off after two minutes but I loved it I kind of got I just found it really really interesting and then I went away I didn't do another gig for maybe a year maybe no maybe six months to eight months actually because it went so bad but then I thought if I do it once I can do it twice you know so I went down a second time, and then I got booed off again. But I lasted three minutes, so that was an improvement. Then I thought, if I can go three minutes, I can go four minutes. If I can go four minutes, I can go five. Do you know, So
1: So what kind of material did you do at the comedy store that got you booed off after two minutes?
0: I can't really remember, actually. Uh, I think I was doing something about um, ketchup and brown sauce, um, getting them mixed up, and salt and pepper, where salt only has one hole in it, and pepper has like four or five holes. Stupid stuff, I mean, it deserved to be booed off, you know what I mean, so but I think when you're starting out, you just kind of like you just have any sort of idea that you said once that was funny in a pub, you just kind of say it on stage and hope that it works, but I hadn't learned how to write a joke or put a story together or come up with an anecdote or not just spot something observational and then try and word that into a way that you can perform that, uh, and that just came by um watching a lot more comedy, so when I got into comedy and I was starting out, I was working nine to five and obviously I was only doing maybe one gig a week doing open spots, um, I got a job in a comedy club at the weekend uh, on a Friday and Saturday night to work behind the bar and I used to then watch professionals every weekend and watch them on a Friday and watch them on a Saturday and see them smash on a Friday but die on a Saturday and you realise it's not their fault the jokes do work, and so you kind of learnt a lot by watching those acts and dealing with quite unique situations of stag dudes and hen and quiet audiences and boisterous audiences and watching their skills that they've learned over time so I think probably working in a comedy club for six months was probably the best learning curve because not only that you get to meet comedians as well hang out with them give them drinks go backstage and um, just to be in that environment kind of when this was the good env- environment that I wanted to be in so it was good that was that was the probably the best learning curve of actually just watching it twice a week watching professionals.
1: So then after you started gigging again after that six month gap How often did you start gigging?
0: I probably got an open spot maybe once every 10 days. And then when I would go to do open spots, I would ask the other open spots where there was gigs. And then they would direct me to kind of forums and websites. And then I basically would just email, ask them, how do you do it? Basically, you just go, how do I get a gig? And they would tell you and then you would just basically have to. It's kind of, it's the only industry where everything is down to you. You know, you write the jokes, you ask where you want to go, you've got nobody saying this is what you need to do. It all comes from the individual, which kind of makes it really unique because you're in control of everything you do, which is kind of, I like the power, I think, the power of doing what I want to do rather than being told what to do. So, um, yeah, just by doing one gig a week, and then if that was going well, um, that promoter would give me a contact for another promoter, and I would recommend myself from another promoter, and then next thing you know, you're doing two a week, and then you're doing two a week, you're meeting more comedians, you're getting more... Uh, people know about you and then you're getting recommended by people then they become your friends and you start hanging out with them and you start going drinking with them when you're not doing gigs then you start having fights with them and then you start <laughs> thinking that you're better than them or they're better than you then the bitchiness starts and then it's all like that you know and it just it's like anything it just spirals it just grows just uh, over time it just becomes natural you know
1: so how do you think that your material has changed since when you first started gigging
0: uh, when i first started gigging i was talking about stuff that i would see now i'm talking more about me so it's kind of evolved over time so I used to have lots of routines about situations I was in and how I uh, saw them now I'm actually talking about how I feel about that situation rather so it's kind of doing, doing comedy six years now it's kind of and I'm, I'm kind of kinda it's weird this year this year I've kind of opened the door to kind of the stuff I want to talk about uh, and then all the learnings that I have this year now and then next year you know as I go on now I'll kind of put two feet in the door so that's the kind of Difference between what I'm doing now is I'm actually questioning myself stuff and it's kind of coming from inside and it kind of excites me more because it's you know it's my own opinion on stuff. Whereas before I would just be doing more observational stuff. Hey guys, you know what it's like when you lock your cars, at keys out of the car? Way panic! Now it's kind of like, why did I lock the key out of the car? What was the thought process that made me be so stupid? Kind of thing. So, and that's what's more exciting because I think the more you do it, the more you learn, and the more you see other comedy and the more you kind of develop yourself and you kind of question what you're doing because, you know, this is my job. So it's not my job, it's not even a job, it's fun. But it's sort of like, I have to keep writing jokes to survive. So you have to look at different ways to keep doing it. And you know, sometimes you write great gags, sometimes you don't write great gags, but the fact that you're writing gags is very important. You know, the fact that you keep writing, because the more you write, the more funny stuff you write, the more crap stuff you write as well. But the more you write, the more funny stuff you write.
1: Do you feel like you're revving that engine?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm gone from first gear into second. <laughs> a couple of months now, I'll be in fifth, flying on the motorway. <laughs> you know, probably get done for speeding, but it'll be all right.
1: So, how do you go about writing your material?
0: I have a process where I use a TV remote, and I have two yellow pieces, two yellow sheets of A4 paper, and I use a green pen. And then I come up with an idea, and then I talk out loud in my front room into the microphone as if I'm writing as if I'm doing a gig and this is the first time I'm doing it so I perform it as if it's a gig and then I just ad-lib it and I ad-lib and ad-lib and ad-lib and ad-lib and ad-lib until I get what I want out of it and I keep doing it and then I record it on a voice recorder and it's awful listening back obviously to silence but if you come up with a line that you think that'll work so I have this bit about um, Scandinavian people and how they're you know they come from really good countries and very well organised people and good healthcare, and I had this bit about the difference between Scandinavian people and and Scottish people and my feelings on those and one day I just came out with this line uh, as I was driving to a gig and I took uh, a little pen on the side of the car and I just said oh I must remember that I must remember that and when I stopped at the lights I rolled it on my hand and then it's become one of the best jokes I've had in the show. So it'll just come see it just comes to you that way, you know, it's just, you could be putting the washing out and um, you can, you can't force it either, you know, you just gotta, c- but the, the ideas that I do, I work on the ideas and I get a bit, I get a couple of lines and then I'll try and work that out, work that out, work that out, make it longer, make it longer and then try it out and then uh, put it away for a while, come back to it, working it, working it, working it, but then sometimes the the code the the punchline will just come to you on the in the shop or something like that. It's just really kind of weird how it just, oh, God, got it, I got the end, I got the end. That kind of thing, you know. So, um, But I have this bit about shoes, buying shoes. And I didn't want the pair of shoes. The, one, the woman gave me a different pair of shoes than the ones that I wanted. And I realized that I was being missold shoes that I didn't want. I was being misdirected. So when I went to the till to pay for the shoes, she was like, it's 50 quid. So I gave her 50 euro. And I was like, you know, there you go. Like, does the same job, different color, very popular at the moment. Because she missold me what I wanted. So, I was, so if she wanted to give me what she wanted, I was going to give her what I wanted. So it's all kind of like different stuff like that and like how I felt about that, you know. So that's basically, I can't really, the system I have is I use a a TV remote or a hairbrush and I talk into it as a mic and that's how I do it. There's no exciting formula, there's nothing unique, there's no sort of, I have to wear certain clothes or all this kind of stuff. It's just, you sit down and you just think. That's basically it. Most comedians are like that, I think.
1: And so you're saying that when you're practicing, you record it and then you listen back. How often do you record your gigs?
0: I record every gig that I do, yeah, and um if a gig went really well, I listen back to it. If a gig went really bad, I listen back to it, and I try and spot my errors or if I said something that maybe put the audience because I can be a little bit loose as well on the stage, so I can sometimes <laughs> say um a few things um uh, purely for me, really, because it's not all about the audience having fun. You know, I think you kind of have have a bit of fun yourself. And if I have an audience that are really liking me and really going with it, really flying with it, I kind of let loose a bit, a bit more and, and, and talk a bit more to them. Um, if they're not liking me, I can probably sometimes tell them, you know, like, which is more fun as well for them. Sometimes the audience is really go with it and sometimes they don't. But I think, it's such, I think with live comedy, it's such a live environment that, I like gigs that you go to that can never be repeated again. If you go and you see someone and they walk on and go, hello, anyway, I was in the shop. I like people that kind of gives you a bit of uniqueness, kind of, this is a one-off, this will never happen again, tomorrow will be different. That's the kind of stuff I go for, and I try and have an element of that in my show as well. So the audience will be going, well, last night I had uh, someone uh, from uh, Scandinavian, and after I did my Scandinavian bit, uh, she was from Scandinavia, and we had great fun with her. But that'll never be repeated. You know, so that that's that was unique. So the audience saw something that was totally in the moment, totally live, rather than going to see someone that's like, "Hello, off we go." This is the hour. Bye bye. Thank you. I kind of want to want to get a bit something unique. I want to feel that this gig is a one-off. That's what I like watching, and that's what I like doing.
1: Well, you were saying you can be quite loose on stage, and <laughs> sometimes you reference that it can almost seem like it's a bit of a mess, but it involves a lot of audience interaction and talking to the audience. So, have you always done that? And Do you enjoy that or do you find that quite a tough part of the job?
0: Well, when I started out I realized that the way to get a lot of work in comedy was if you could compare. So you can go back to comedy clubs quite regularly because you mightn't use a lot of material. So I got comparing, I said, right, I'll compare. So I started to compare and then I was comparing a hell of a lot and I built up the comparing skills. And the And the ability to riff and go off and one and you know um come up with stuff on the spot uh, but over the last year I've reduced my comp probably doing I was doing probably sixty forty comparing and now I'm probably doing seventy thirty sets so the sets are more important the material is more important because you know you can't do anything with somebody if you've got three people in from America and some from Australia you, you can't do anything with that ever again, so I think the material is very important, but I'll always have the comparing I'll always have those skills to kind of fall back on um if needed and then sometimes when I do need them I know I kinda hopefully would that armor is ready to work that night, you know. Sometimes it doesn't work, you know, so you just gotta go, oh well, that's life. But I think for me now as I'm getting a bit more experienced in it it, is the material is more important now. Um obviously if you start doing T V spots you need little bits here. Those T V spots then where uh, people will see that and they'll wanna come and buy come and buy tickets to see you rather than going, Well, you know, we only saw them compare, so I don't know what a set is like, but if you saw some of a set and you like the set, you go, well, I like that kind of style, so I'd go and see it. So uh, the first time when I started comparing more, that was purely just for work and for income to kind of survive, to live. Uh, and now it's sort of like, well, I'd rather do more sets, you know? So um, it's kind of 70, 30 now in terms of uh, MC work.
1: And do you think that spending all that time comparing has helped you deal with hecklers?
0: Yeah, I'm not scared of Heckling doesn't happen that often. I know a lot of people,
1: you know. You've got such great control now.
0: <laughs> oh well, yeah, yeah, well it's not it's not it's not really down to that, but heckling, people think that heckling happens a lot. It doesn't. It rarely happens. I've been in my own show this fringe. Haven't been heckled once. No, I have. Somebody answered a question, and, but it was really funny. So I gave him, I said, well done, that's the best heckle I've had. But heckling is not normally as bad as people think it is. People think it's the worst part of comedy. I probably, if I get heckled maybe once every two months, if that, probably less, probably maybe once every three months. I can't even tell you the last time I had a heckle. That's how it, it happens. I don't think it comes down to control. I think people just, when people who are not comedians and they ask you about the industry, the first thing they'll always focus on is the negative part of the industry. They'll always go, oh, what's it like when you get heckled? Or what's it like when you don't when a joke doesn't work? Well, not you know? It, it, they always focus on the negative. They always focus on the kind of negative side. It's like going up to a paramedic. You know what's it like when all they go to the car crashes? Well, they probably rarely go to them. They probably save more lives than they do. Poor more people, you know, get seriously injured. So, people always are interested in the negative side of it, and they always question you about uh, heckling. It doesn't really happen that much. I think if you're a, a comic who's doing who knows what he's doing on stage and confidence, got good stuff. I think the audience won't heckle you because they don't need to heckle you. So, you know.
1: And before you started performing stand-up comedy, uh, one of the jobs that you did was a private detective. So, do you feel that there are any transferable skills between being a private detective and being a stand-up comedian?
0: Um, Yeah, being on your own a lot. Uh, Being on your own, getting angry for no reason over small stuff, because you sit in your car most of the time trying to do surveillance on someone. (laughs) Um, You've got a lot of time to think. You, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, there's no, in terms, because being a private investigator, you're on your own all the time. So unless you're working with a group of people on a day or you're doing a big job, um, there's no, you just get, You just. I think it's just the the, the fact that you're just on your own, because with being a stand-up, you're on your own a lot. You know, you're traveling around the country a lot, you're on your own, um, you're always moving. It's very hard to have kind of a normal life. Um, people, When I was a private investigator, people would ask me what I did for a living, and I told them I worked in insurance claims. Because I couldn't tell them, and I sometimes when people ask me what I do for a living now, I find it really awkward. Oh, I'm a stand-up comedian, because you realise then you're just going to be talking about yourself for the next half an hour, because they're all they're going to do is ask you loads of questions about it. So I was on holiday once, and someone asked me what I did, and I was like, "I'm a carer," and then straight away they were like, "Not interested." I was like, "Buzzing, that's great. Let's talk about football." Do you know what I mean? So it's very. This is such a very kind of like weird. You know, if you walked up to someone you met on the street and they go, "What do you doing? and they go, "I'm a comedian," they'd be looking at you, going, "What? You're you're a what?" And you're like, so. You tell me you're a private investigator. They don't, they, most, most jobs I've ever done, people don't believe that I've ever done them. When I've said I'm a private investigator, they go, no, you're not. I am. They go, are a comedian? No, you're not. I am a comedian. I used to work in a maternity hospital, and uh, people are like, what are you do in a maternity hospital? I used to say, like, oh, I used to tidy up, you know, like the labour ward and stuff like that. But I know like, you didn't. I'm like, okay, I well, know I didn't then. You, you believe what you want to believe, you know what I mean? So, you know, I've done some work. I used to be a delivery man. Uh, I used to deliver food. And I used to be a delivery man for a dentist. used to deliver medicines to other dentists. I uh, used to deliver catering. I was a petrol pump attendant. Um, I was a barman. I was a, a hotel accommodation manager. I was a, a HR manager. I, uh, what else did I do? Um, um, I tried to get a job in Primark, but didn't get it. Um, I wanted to open my own snooker club i done lots of different things, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's. Uh, I was a security guard in a car park. Um. So I've done loads of different jobs. You know, I've experienced quite a lot. I've never, I've, I've only been sacked once, which is pretty good. The rest I've left, well, I say left, they've said, you need to leave. And then I've said, okay, I'll fill the form out, so. But yeah, like, there's no transferable skills. It was the Private investigator was the worst job I've ever had in my life. Worst job, yeah. Just spend your time on your own doing surveillance on people, and it's boring. It's not, it's, not, it's not like Hawaii 5 You're jumping over car bonnets. You know what I mean? You don't even have a badge. You're just sitting there with a camera, trying to see if someone's got a fraud in or not. That's all it is. So there's no transferable skills. Loneliness, that's probably the only transferable skill. I'm not lonely, I'm perfectly fine, but I'm just saying like, you spend a long time on your own travelling to gigs.
1: And you perform comedy all around the UK. So how do you find that different audiences compare?
0: Um, I don't really... Um, I don't really notice too much of a difference, to be honest with you. I know a lot of people go on about London being difficult. I probably find London, for me, the easiest. I don't know why. Um, but I, pref- I really like gigging in London. I think it's great in London. Um, I lived in Manchester for many years, so I quite like Manchester. I kind of know their humour. Um, the North East is very good. I'm never, ever going back to Scontorp. Um So that's off the chain different pl- different world that
1: what what happened in Scantop
0: just a woman just I was there one night and I just I just walked on and it just wouldn't leave me alone you know like they just kept on shouting potato at me and I was just like guys come on I've you know, I've got some stuff you might like if you want to listen to me, please listen listen to me and then it just turned into chaos and I was just like, oh god but I'd probably go back because it's kind of one of those where you're like right, I'll go back (laughs) you kind of say it afterwards, like I'm never coming back I've got a list of things I never ever want to do again in comedy that I've had bad experiences in and like, uh, you know um, just like a list of things it's like, don't go there, don't do that gig don't do this again there's no point in doing that um, they will ne- they will hate you don't ever do um, comedy at a poetry night you know all these kind of things you know I have like a list of don't ever This dist- of what I call learnings so I have a list of stuff like that that I do but I think the UK I think I'm funnier in Ireland than I am here though um, because when I gig in Ireland I don't know they just seem to kind of because I do a lot of stories and stuff to kind of go with the stories a lot so I think over here the audience are very demanding they're, they know their comedy they like their comedy they're very comedy literate so they want, you know, you walk out here, they're like, all right, what you got? You know, you go to Ireland, it's like, oh, he's not he lovely now? He's got a nice face in him, so we'll have a listen. We're over here, it's like, come on, produce your goods, we've paid. So it kind of makes you a lot sharper, a lot tighter very quickly, and you work with some amazing acts as well. I mean, the comedians that are living in the UK, the best, I think comedy in Britain is the best comedy in the world, in my opinion, but um, it's kind of nice to be part of that circuit and working around with loads of people. So British audiences are very good. You know, I have no real complaints, really. You know, some of them, have, some of them are, um, you know, People say London's difficult, but I quite like London, you know. You should be able to go into a difficult place and try and make them laugh. But I don't gig in London that much as well, you know, because there's so many comedians in London, there's a lot of, you know, it's very hard to get on the bill sometimes, but it's, um, yes, yeah, what it's like, the circle, you just keep moving around all the time, you know, so it's good fun.
1: And how does the Irish comedy scene compare to what it's like in England?
0: Well if I get to do a gig in Ireland once a year that's probably an average. I mean in Cork when I where I grew up they had a comedy club there but it was very irregular. And they would only kind of run sometimes if they had a big name on, you know, like an Ard handling or a Tommy Tiernan. So um going to a comedy club wasn't a big wasn't a regular thing for people. Uh or you'd have to go to the Opera House to watch, you know, like a Tommy Tiernan do a tour or Ed Byrne or a Dylan Moran. So that would only be maybe once every 5 or 6 months. You know, you might get to see a show and then you go to Dublin, there's four or five clubs in Dublin, some running midweek. There's only two weekend clubs in Dublin. For such a big city as well, of a couple of million people, tourism's big, three universities, you think there'd be a bit more of a, a sort of a, a vibe there going. Galway, Belfast have just got one night a week or one night a month. You know, So for a country that's produced some of the best comedians in the world, it's a very small circuit actually compared to, you know, Leeds has three weekend clubs, you know, Manchester has you know gigs on three or four or five gigs on a saturday you know glasgow edinburgh uh you know nottingham leicester all these places you know so um the circuit is a lot different you know it's a very different circuit but then again i don't get over that much i'm sure there's a lot more little gigs pocketed around the country and stuff that i don't know about you know i'm sure there is gigs but i just they're the ones that i just know of at the moment because i'm just so busy over here it's very hard to you know get up and go back and to get a run over there as well you know so I'm hoping to do a lot more of that later in the year and next year
1: and do you have a favorite type of audience to perform to
0: people I normally like people um yeah just I don't really mind anyone really you know if they're an audience and they want to come and listen just do it really I don't really I don't go out and go oh you can't have a beige jumper on tonight I can't do comedy to those people it doesn't bother me really Anyone, as long as they're facing the stage, I've done some gigs where it's pointless, you know. Oh my god, to turn up and to go, why did you think comedy was a good idea? But you just, that's what you do, you just kind of think to yourself, well, I'll look back on these hopefully in a couple of years and kind of think we all have to kind of do that. It's part of the journey, isn't it? You know, so anyone really, I don't really mind. Once they're facing the stage and they know what they're there for, it's fine. And if that's the kind of gig I'll go for. And once it's set up properly,
1: well, often. Those types of gigs are corporate gigs, which you do quite a lot of. So how do you find that performing at a corporate gig compares to performing on the bill uh, at a comedy club?
0: Um, Corporates are very interesting. Uh, they're very um different. They're not comedy gigs. They're not there for you. They're normally there for an awards night or something else, but they throw a turn on for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. Um and it's part of a sequence of events throughout the evening. So you've got guest speakers, you might have a band, you might have give away a raffle, there might be awards, there might be tiers, you know, there might be on round tables. Um Really, the reason why you do them is purely because, um, number one, they're normally a bit more better paid, uh, you do it for money. And uh, Number two, also, you know, they're very good experience, they're very hard gigs. When it goes well, you feel you can do anything. When it doesn't go well, you think, Well, at least it wasn't the comedy gig, so I can't be at blame there, you know. So I've done corporate gigs where they don't even look at me. They don't even look. I've walked on and I've spent three minutes going, hello, um, can you just face me? And I'll try, I'll try and entertain you. I've done corporate gigs that have been as good as any club gig that I've done. You just don't know. You just don't know. And people, I do a lot of hosting, presenting uh, awards. Um, I've done quite a few of them this year. And I really enjoyed that because... You know, you can find out a bit about the company and the people you're doing. You do a bit of research, and if you can tailor five or seven minutes set around it, or speak to people in the audience, and then, you know, riffing it out. I hosted the mobile phone awards in London um this year, and I um had loads of jokes about phones, and you know, I did a bit of prep on some of the phones, and I was complaining about battery life and iPhones, and asked the chief execs why there was no battery life, and the audience were loving that because. It was sort of like the questions that they wanted to ask. So you just got to kind of tailor it a little bit that way, you know. So once you do that, but when I get a corporate gig in, I'm like, oh, that's really nice. Uh, but on the day, it's like, why, why did I agree to this? Why am I putting myself such under so much stress? Then you turn up, and if it goes all right, you feel amazing. If it doesn't go well, you go, well, it was a corporate gig, so I don't, that's not my fault. <laughs> you know, so you'll always, you'll always have an excuse. Comics will always have an excuse why it didn't go bad. It was never our fault. It's always them, you know what I mean? So, But no, it, corporate gigs are just... They help you in different ways in life. (laughs) Mostly with the cost of Edinburgh. So you kind of take money from one corporate institute and give it to another. That's the way I look at it. Covers me that way.
1: And do you have a favourite type of venue that you prefer performing in?
0: My favourite venue in the whole of the UK?
1: In the world. In the world.
0: Um, Oh God, I would say I really like the Glee in Birmingham. I really like the Comedy Store in London. I like the stand. Any club that's well run by people who know what they're doing is a good room. You know, there's a gig in Bracknell called The the Backyard. Now that's a gig, low ceiling, really low ceiling, keeps the laughs in. that's a gig, that's a gig. That was a really nice gig. Any gig that's well organized and by a good people, a lot of comedians will turn up at gigs and they'll be like, oh, you know, the lights not right or the stage is too high or whatever it is. But do you know how hard it is for a promoter to get people into a gig? The fact that they've had to... You know, we're up here at the festival and we're outside trying to get 50 people on our seat every night, on my seats every night. And if I, when I walk into a comedy club on a Thursday or a Friday or Saturday and there's 150 people, we never thank the promoter for the audience. You know, we always sit down there and go, it's only half full tonight. Well, I come up to Edinburgh and I'm if I get, you know, 35, 40 in on a Tuesday, how hard my flyers have to work, how hard I've had to flyer the shows that I do, we never thank the people who give us the weekend gig for the audiences. We'll always look at a negative. So like if I go to the Glee in Birmingham and it's full Friday, Saturday and I might get an extra show on Saturday in the studio, we'll walk out of there and go, yeah, it was good, yeah, the audience is all right, but we never go, big thank you to the Glee for getting the audience, for their marketing team, for their fact that they build up their brand, the fact that they are so well known that people know that there's comedy that are allowing us to do comedy and get paid for it. I think a lot of people never really thank the promoters for actually getting because there's some brilliant promoters out there, there's some awful promoters out there as well, don't get me wrong, there's some chancers, you know. But also the fact that they, we turn up and there's an audience ready. We turn up at Edinburgh, we have to work for our audience. Promoters doing that every week. So I think we kind of need to, you know, give a, put our hats off to some of the best promoters out there. There's one promoter in the north of England, a guy called Rob Riley, he's an independent promoter. He's unbelievable. He runs about seven or eight monthly gigs. I do them very regularly and they're so well run, so well organized, so well behaved, but he has an audience, and he does it off the back of his own, getting emails, building it up, being proactive in the day on a Monday and Tuesday when we don't see it, doing the Facebook, doing the Twitter, doing competitions, getting word of mouth, turning up to the venue early, setting it up, spending the whole night talking to the audience, getting them to come back for the next one, booking the lineups, organizing the money, the VAT, all these kind of things for other comedians. We just turn up at a gig and we moan, but we don't realize how hard it was to get the audience in. So, you know, I think promoters need a bit more of a thank you as well. So thank you, promoters. Book me.
1: (laughs) So how have you found the Edinburgh Festival so far?
0: Uh, This is my best year so far. It's my third year up here. It's the best one I've had. Um, Numbers have been brilliant. Um, Audiences have been really good. The show has been going really well. When the show really flies, I really enjoy flying. When a show flies, I'm flying it. When it's not flying, it's just work. But when an audience is really on board with you, it's brilliant. Like last night was the best gig of my career last night. The the best one hour of my career last night. And I recorded it as well. And it was just fantastic. I walked on stage and they were just on it. They knew, some of them had seen me before, so they knew what I was doing. And they knew the kind of stuff I was going to do. And I did an hour and two minutes. I just had so much fun with them. I only did about 75% of the show because I really enjoyed the audience. They were really enjoying it. And after the show, someone said to me that it was great to see a comedian have fun. It's a lot of people up here, they're just doing the show. It's said it, you seem like you had fun. And uh, I think a lot of people lose that when they come to Edinburgh because they come up here to go, oh, my show has to have structure and it has to have meaning. And at the end, I need to wrap it all into one and people need to leave thinking, I just come up and do stories and jokes. I don't see any problem with that. You know, if people come and they enjoy the one-hour company with you, um, you know, I've been to shows and I come away. Oh, I know the callback's going to come at the end because I can see what they're doing and I know it's going to come up and everyone's going to leave. And I think that's great and it's really well done and really well written. And you know, the best show I saw this year was Liam Williams, um, down at the free Fringe in the at quarter past one. You know in terms of gag great, he had some amazing gags but it wouldn't if you went you you know you go to him you're not gonna fall on the floor laughing but you're looking at a, a really brilliant performer and a guy who knows what he's doing and he's he's unique to listen to for 55 minutes or whatever he, his show was and I came away going that was a really enjoyable hour and I love this stuff you know so um, it was very it was very um it' was very it was very kind of interesting that way um but I like people who do who do who do who do different stuff. Um, than what I do you know like I just do anecdotal observational stories 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 that's it um, I like people who do, do very different stuff than what I would be used to you know so coming to the Edinburgh Festival it's nice to see a lot of that stuff but I think a lot of people get too worried about it it's just gigs there's just people sitting in front of you you do these every night of the week you go out you do four or five nights a week on a circuit people come here and they go oh I'll do my Edinburgh material and all this kind of stuff and all I just write material if it works in front of people in Nottingham it's going to work in front of people in Edinburgh they're just people and I, I find all this blasé about this sort of festival and it's all different. It's just people. If it's funny, it's funny. End of. You know, so I just come up and do, f- do jokes that I would do every year round. I don't see any problem with that.
1: So what advice would you give to people who are coming up to Edinburgh and taking a show?
0: Write a show. Put some effort into it. Be professional. Um, don't listen to anyone else. Do what you want to do. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing because you can influence that. It's pointless. If you got a show that you like, do you happy with it? Work hard to get people in, perform it, turn up on time, be polite, be nice to people, don't be a an knobhead, and um, go out and have fun and enjoy it. Get pissed, have a great time. You're here with your your mates. You're at the World Cup. You know that's what it's like. It's not a competition. Well, some people think it's a competition, but you're here to improve and get better. I'm in a fifty-seater this year. Next year I might be in the same room. Next year I might go to sixty seats. Um, but I've learned more this year than I've ever learned, and I can't wait to come back next year and have a better show. Because that's what it says. people think it's a race, like, you know, like I've only been doing it six years, you know, like in four years time, I'm really excited about what I'm going to be talking about. You know, you can't, people get wrapped up too quickly in, oh, I've got to be doing this by a certain time. No, just the, everyone, everyone's different. It's such a unique thing to do it, everyone's, you know, y- something might happen in my life next month that could change my whole perspective on life. And I might end up writing about that or changing my way I see things. So you can there's no rule it's all individualist you, you just you decide what you do you know so it's very interesting that way
1: so for anyone who's thinking about doing comedy and aspiring comedians what advice would you give to them
0: i uh, don't care about what anyone else thinks just do it just do it and um, uh it'll be awful when you start it'll be truly awful but the more harder you work at it the, the, the quicker you'll pick it up and just don't listen to anyone else really just don't listen to them people think when i told people i was doing stand-up like they were like what are you doing that for and then it was like four years later they're like "oh right, they get it." But they don't see that you've got to put in the, all the graft at the start. Um, I never told people for a while that I was doing it. I just kept it really quiet because I knew people would look at you like a bit of a fool. Why you, why you're not you're not funny, you're not funny because they'd only look at you and compare you to people that's on telly. You know, so they don't, that's what they'll do. The, um, so just ignore them. Just ignore them and learn your craft. Go to gigs, watch gigs, watch comedy. Um, don't be deluded. You know, if you're not if the joke isn't working five or six times, get rid of the joke. You know, like, just look at it very straight and go, is this working, who are you? Or do all these kind of things, you know? But just don't listen to other people. You know, always look at yourself, and if people are slagging you off, don't worry about it. It's fine, if you're, I mean, you're doing something. But just try it, try it. If it doesn't work out, uh, don't worry about it. And If it does work out, just keep getting better. Like, just keep learning, keep going to gigs, keep dying in your arse, keep watching shows. When you're not doing gigs, go and watch a gig, you know? And just write jokes, just write jokes, write jokes. People don't write enough jokes to spend so much time on Twitter. Write jokes because you can't sell a theatre based on your Twitter followers. Write jokes. Like if you're funny, people will come and see you. That's what comes down to at the end of the day. It's what you say. It's not about how big your poster is, how good your blurb is, You know who your management company is. You've got to have stuff. You've got to have bits. And people kind of ignore that, and they kind of worry too much about everything else rather than having bits. Have your jokes. Everything else will fall into place. You can't be a professional footballer if you're not fit. Get fit. Do the work on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then perform on a Saturday like a footballer do. Don't just turn up on a Saturday and think you can do it. Do the work that people don't see. That's by staying at home and writing stuff. That's what you do. Write stuff. Lots of it. And some of it will be crap. But the more you write, the more free bits you get. So just don't be worried about it. Just do it. Don't care what anyone thinks. If you care what anyone thinks, you can't do comedy. So subjective. People don't like me. Don't care. It's fine. I don't like ACDC, but that doesn't mean they're a bad band. You know, I wouldn't pay money to watch them, but they're a good band. Just not my type of cup of tea. So people need to get over that very quickly. They don't see that they're worrying about other people. You know, too insecure. To feck them. Who cares? If they're talking about you, you're doing a good thing. That's us try look at it.